Hey everybody, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, it's Jason Klom, Comedy on Vinyl podcast. You already know that. You clicked on it, but still. Uh, Timothy Amundsen is on this week. I'm very excited. Uh, it was a great episode. Uh, Timothy Amundsen plays Carlton Lasseter on Psych, if you don't already know that. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, and he wanted to talk about Flip Wilson's The Devil Made Me Buy This Dress. It's uh, a funny album. It's a bit uh, dated, maybe, uh, in some ways. I mean, it's a lot of stories leading up to really ridiculous jokes. But that doesn't change the fact that it is the first comedy album he remembers listening to, and that's what's important. Uh, so it's a really great episode. Obviously, uh, in case you don't know, Season 7 of Psych is on right now on the USA Network. And, uh, you know, check it out. Watch it. I love it. It's one of my favorite shows. It's on Wednesday nights at uh, 10 p.m. So, yeah, check it out. Um, and make sure to follow him on Twitter at Amundsen. O-M-U-N-D-S-O-N. Thanks so much, and enjoy the episode. I'd like to say thank you very much, and welcome to the first Flip Wilson special. And in the dressing room a few moments ago, I was sitting... And I was running through my mind, great quotations. I like great quotations. I've always learned a great deal from them. And uh, there were three that ran through my mind. One was the greatest quotation I've ever heard, made by a woman. And the second was one that I'd written myself. And the third was a quotation made by a gentleman who I consider to be the champion of great quotations, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, let me do them for you, see what I mean? The great quotation, the greatest quotation made by a woman, was made by a girl named Sarah Johnson. And it was made when I was coming in to do the show. It was Sarah Johnson, whom I heard tell the airline's service representative there, If you can fly this plane 600 miles an hour in the dark and find Los Angeles, you can find my bags. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, I have Timothy Amundsen on the show. Hello. And we're talking about Flip Wilson, The Devil Made Me Buy This Dress. And you, you picked it because it's one of the first things you remember listening to, right? It, it was indeed. It was the. Fr I did not listen to a lot of comedy when I was a kid. Um, it was not something I grew up with. It wasn't really in my household. And I, I was going through my parents' jazz records. And again, they never really played music. I don't mm -hmm. think I ever heard them play a record. Sort of very Eisenhower generation uh -huh. uh, parents. And for some reason... My very, very white parents had a copy of Flip Wilson's The Devil Made Me Buy This Dress in their collection. And I, for, I don't know. I was probably, I would imagine I was around maybe 10, maybe a little uh. older. And I guess I was attracted to the image of a black man in a very 60s go-go dress. It's an amazing cover. On the cover. It's, it, on the cover is Flip Wilson uh, in drag. As as Geraldine, and uh, in in fuchsia, mm -hmm. I would, you would call that color. I think so. In fuchsia lettering that matches his hat is uh, uh, the words "The devil made me buy this dress." He's got a purse. He's got some leggings. He looks super fly. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> and there we go. That's the thing that sucks on a lot of people. I feel like that's the one thing you don't really get anymore with tiny CDs or going online. You. Content exclusively, usually, but with a record, there was a time when you might get sucked into content because of the amazing cover. It was, I totally judged it by its cover, and literally, I was just like, What the hell is this? And mm -hmm. like, it was, a, it was a really white family, yeah. And you don't know how that happened. I, I actually called my mother mm -hmm. last night, she's she's in her 80s, and I said, Do you remember this album? She barely, she had, I think, no recollection of it. Uh -huh. I'm like, where did this come from? Was it yours? Mm -hmm. Was it dad's? She did not know. I'm like, you had this record collection. She said, well, I, like, where do those come from? Because you never played any. Yeah. any. 
And she goes, well, there was a guy I was going with before your dad who worked at a, he was a DJ in Yakima, Washington. Uh-huh. And he had a lot of those records. All right. But this came out in 1970. Oh, okay. So it was not from him. Mm-hmm. See how I deduced that? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I play a detective on TV. <laughs> and so I don't know where the hell it came from. That's funny. How many, did you throw it in right away or did you? I, yeah, I, I in listening to it again, I, I li- re-listened to it yesterday, mm-hmm. and it there were a few bits that I remembered, mm-hmm. and then I was surprised at how much is on my hard drive in the back of my head. Yeah, of, yeah. of just more of line readings that he would do, mm-hmm. and and so I I just I remember in listening to it. I actually memorized all the bits, and I would do the bits for my friends. This all sort of awesome. came back to me. I didn't really remember. So yeah. I was the, let's say, 13-year-old white kid in suburban Seattle <laughs> doing these bits performed by, you know, Flip Wilson, yeah. who is not a white man. No, not And quite. half of his bits involve him doing Geraldine. So here I am going, you don't know. I did the devil made me buy that dress. You, you wasn't there. How do you know? And, oh and a star was born. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit! I, I wasn't going to ask you to do it, but I had a feeling. Oh, how can, I had a how feeling you it was not? built into you somehow. But it was. And in, in listening to this album, uh-huh. most of the jokes, God rest your soul, flip. They're awful. Sure. They're, they're dumb yeah. jokes. Mm-hmm. They're dumb jokes. And the first, uh, the first. Side because it's an actual album mm-hmm. is recorded from his first television special, which I think was sixty nine, maybe. Okay, and then the flip side, get it, Flip Wilson. Ah. The flip side is basically his monologues from the week he hosted Carson. Right, right. Um, and so they're they're very sort of well, they're not very different styles, but his stuff it was he wasn't really a joke guy. Mm-hmm. And any of you out there who know more about Flip Wilson, which is probably a lot, forgive me if I'm it's okay. acting it's, it's, like an No, no, no. This happens. The whole point is that it means something. Okay. So, he again, this is just me looking back going, mm-hmm. oh, this is why I got it. It's because he was a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And he would tell these long-ass stories mm-hmm. to get to this one dumb punchline. <laughs> yeah. And again, most of the punchlines were dumb. Yeah. You would just, like Things my dad would send to me now, mm-hmm. emails, and I just go... <laughs> <It's dumb> dad. <laughs> but there were a few gems in there. Yeah. And that's what really stuck to me. What are the ones that specifically you like the most? I have in my memory banks the very first routine on the album is him doing quotations. And it's the it's the opening of his of his special. And he says and again, it's he does a lot of women mm-hmm. and they all sound like Geraldine. Yes, they do. So the first one is, uh, if you can fly this plane 600 miles an hour in the dark and fly Los Angeles, you can fly my bag. And oh, I can't, you can't say those lines without those vocal intonations. Right, right. It's like, so I, as a, again, a young adolescent young boy, mm-hmm. could do a sassy black woman. Sure, sure. And uh, look where it got me. 
Did you? We've talked about it a couple times on the podcast. My normal co-host, who couldn't make it because of car trouble, uh, <laughs> has talked about doing bits that were not uh, that were performed originally by people not of his own race, and remember realized later on how dreadfully inappropriate it was. But again, you're innocent. And you're young, and I, yeah. it's going to influence you in a in some way, and, and positively. I mean, how I was thinking about this. I was mm-hmm. thinking about race in comedy, and and doing bits like this, mm-hmm. and is it? Yeah, it's such a sensitive topic. Now. Sure. Yeah. And understandably so. But then you have people of other ethnicities doing like, you know, I can sure. see where, as long as I, I honestly sort of think, as long as it's not mean spirited or, or yeah. then everything, anything goes, I, I yeah. think, is my sort of take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, intent is a huge part of comedy. I mean, Blazing, nobody bitches that Blazing Saddles says that word as many times as it does because it's got a point to it. And it's one of the most comedic genius yeah. Oh, yeah. pieces ever to be created anywhere. Of course. Yeah. Brilliant. But what's so funny is because I, I interviewed the, the screenwriter of that film. No. Yes. Oh, that would have been good. Andrew Bergman. He's, he, he's one of the screenwriters, but the original creator of the story. And it's funny, too, though, to interview him about that specifically. That wasn't on their mind. Making something important was not on their mind. And I think you probably understand this even better than, I, than most people. You're not trying to necessarily make it have a point to it you just want to be funny yeah. and then if it's got a point to it let it bleed through i suppose and i'd heard that uh, originally it was going to be richard pryor instead of cleveland yeah Did it was hear that? yeah yeah yeah. which what a different movie that would have been i know i can't imagine but it's too bad he had so many problems because he, he would have he would have been great yeah do you uh did this influence anything specifically or just at subconscious level i i think it really influenced Again, not to be all high fluent, but like <laughs> how I sort of sort of approach characters because sure. in listening to this, mm-hmm. he he in telling the stories he plays all the parts, and they're very different vocally. Yeah, and and I I'm a pretty vocal actor. It's it's one of the tools I like to play with mm-hmm. in my kid, and so to hear the way he would. The way he could convey something, and again, because these were recorded from live shows, mm-hmm. from people, you know, from visual shows, sure. I'm always trying to figure out, like, what's he doing? What's yeah. he doing with his face? And mm-hmm. so I would sort of fill that in, and it really okay. made my imagination, uh, it, it really strengthened my imagination mm-hmm. a lot. And just what he would do with just even the nonverbal stuff, right? I would sort of fill that in, and okay. that became a building blocks of of what i do i think that's kind of awesome i mean coming up with your own math to get to that final equation yeah you know and you know when he's talking about how how, there's this one bit so the very famous bit is the devil made me buy this dress which is uh the 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 reverend's wife explaining to the reverend why she bought another dress Mm -hmm. and he so fully embodies this this character with Geraldine, where there's even this one bit, and again, I I, I would mimic because that's all I knew. I mm-hmm. didn't know comedy. I just knew if I sound just like this, it'll be funny. Sure. Deliver it like this, it'll be funny. Right. And she's do this. She's like, I've been walking down the street, and I heard the devil. He's tiptoeing up, and and I didn't look behind me because I was like, I I knew it was the devil, you know. <laughs> and it was just that way. <laughs> the devil, you know. It's just mm-hmm. this thing where I could see this woman. Yeah. Telling this to her yeah. husband. Oh, yeah. You know, it, and that got a huge laugh, actually. That particular yeah, line gets a massive laugh. And scene. I can just imagine he's doing some sort of sachet. And, and it's just, 
So there was there was the uh, obviously that bit, mm-hmm. and then the uh, the Reverend Leroy, uh, also known as the Gorilla <laughs> bit, <laughs> and that that thing I still to this day I I will quote you know all I got is one dollar a raincoat and a pack of jewel milk. But I, I, I'm going to give that to you. So you can have that. And again, it's like I'm suddenly doing this African-American minister. Sure. But why not? Right. Right. There's, again, intent. And picture the, a 12-year-old boy. Right. Right. That's even better. Seattle I would, doing that. I would kill to see that. He told me his wife came in the house a few days before, and she had this box. And on the side of this box was written the name of a very exclusive dress shop. The lowest dress was $85. That was on sale. <laughs> So she walks in the house and Rev says, another dress? You bought another dress? This is ridiculous. That's the third dress this week. And his wife tells him, the devil made me buy this dress. (laughs) Said, I didn't want to buy no dress. The devil kept following me. I was going down the street going, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) and the devil kept following me and he kept telling me how good I look. Rev said, I'm not going for that. He said, every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. He said, you blamed it on the devil when you ran the car to the side of the church. It was the devil. You wasn't there. How do you know? He grabbed the steering wheel out of my hand. Rev said, well, why didn't you step on the brake? He said, because when he grabbed the steering wheel, I tried to kick him. You can't kick him and step on the brake at the same time. Said, and we had a big fight. And that's why I was in the back seat when y'all got the call. You're a performer, uh, you're an actor, but did you have any specific comedy background? Did you ever do a lot of improv or stand-up or anything like that? No. No? No. Just... Never. I was I was straight up theater geek. Mm-hmm. Started studying theater. <laughs> when I was twelve, the Seattle Children's Theater. And and uh, I mean I was I was a goofy funny kid as mm-hmm. as many actors and dweeby kids are. Sure, they use humor to disarm right their the people who terrify them. Sure, and that was me. That's one of the reasons I would do these bits because mm-hmm. all I had to offer was sort of making people laugh if I could. Was it ever a matter of that soaking through your performance or making very intentional comedic choices when you finally sort of realized that you could do comedy? Or did you always know you could do comedy? No, I never really knew that I could do comedy. I mean, I knew that I could I could be a gregarious kid in mm-hmm. certain circumstances and not feel like an asshole for 10 minutes. Right. Right, and that was pretty much it. Okay. Just how can I get through sitting here at lunch at this table mm-hmm. in seventh grade, yeah, without feeling like just a, a total misfit toy? Sure, and and this this was part of it. You know, there's other there's a few other albums we talked about, which will be for another podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would do those bits as well. And I, it, there was one time in in the biopic of my life, it's going to be a great scene. Mm-hmm. Because it was a, a high school, I think it was a talent show, and I was emceeing the talent show. I was always much more of that kind of guy than actually coming up with performances unless okay. it was doing a play. Um, 
and there was a technical difficulty and I had to vamp for, for, you know, five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I drew upon everything I'd ever, everything I could steal from everything I'd ever heard my Uh entire life. And part of it was sort of Robin Williams asking and part of it was this this minister that I came up with and mm-hmm. I don't think I stole the bit maybe I did but my high school principal still were were in in contact and he will still do bits back that I did that's amazing and and I again I may have stolen it from someone sure. but, but so it was all it was all in my back pocket just mm-hmm. sort of necessary and or just waiting to come out mm-hmm. and I think in the work now, I always say I just steal from as many people as I can. Sure. I don't have any original ideas <laughs> that I'm aware of. It's either a variation of Monty Python and Carlin and Robin Williams all mixed out, coming out as if Tony Randall did it. So, I mean, in sort of the okay. stuff I do, I do now. Yeah. Well, that's kind of going to be my next question was sort of uh, you have a filter you have uh, a presence that is, that can very instantly be taken seriously you don't have a goofy look you know what I mean you can make a goofy face sure I've seen that but you, you have a, a very serious look I mean you did uh, you did Judging Amy you've done a lot of stuff that's very very strongly drama so I mean that obviously gives you a, a base to work with when you're doing comedy because as everybody knows or at least as I hope most people know you have to start from a place of reality uh, do you, is it just natural for you to just suck the comedy out of that and just like pull it, put it out I mean not suck it out that sounded wrong what I mean is the, the reverse pull it out and show it um this the straight, yeah. I think, uh, I think it's pretty natural. Um, certainly, the, the character I've been spending the most time on in the last you know seven years has been Carlton Lasseter. Sure. On, on this television show, Psych, check it out. It's pretty funny. I think it's available on Netflix. I think um, most of my friends would like me to say hello to you. By the way, I just feel like I should point that them, out. They all love all. you. And well, Natalie you have, says hi. Oh, Natalie, she's the best. She is the How best. is she? By she's the way, she's doing so well. Oh, I'm she's so. She's going to be horribly embarrassed. This is going to be. Great. She looks great. By Doesn't the way, she? I saw she, her. Yeah. Never. Oh, and yeah. she just looked amazing. I'd have to. Agree with you. Um, <laughs> so, but but Lassiter is is such a a tightly wound prick and mm-hmm. in in the context of our show James is is the crazy sort of mm-hmm. spastic comedy sure and Dulé straddles the line between the two mm-hmm. and I just sort of realized quickly the you know the more serious he is the funnier he sure. the funnier is the more serious he takes himself and the fact that he thinks he's Clint Eastwood in mm-hmm. the Dirty Harry movies <laughs> And then there's what everyone else sees. It like that's sort of where the funny. So I, again, it's just it's just this guy. Um, I think I, my my question was incredibly vague, but your answer was much better. So I apologize oh, for that. Yeah. No, and prior, I think prior to Psych, I I guess starred on. It's funny because I would never really have thought I was going to be a well that I would spend a third of my career doing a comedy, right? Because again, it was all like you know, I was Shakespeare and I would do the dramatic shit, sure. and and it was you know Deadwood and things of this mm-hmm. that matter. And although I did get my, I got my SAG card on Seinfeld, awesome. Where I had three lines, didn't know what the hell I was doing. You can swear. You know, I swear too much in podcasts. Okay. I've come to this. I've listened to some, and I'm like, someday I want my children to hear these. Maybe okay. that's fine. And I, I'm trying not to sound like such a 
motherfucking sailor. <laughs> um, but again, I didn't know what I was doing, and it was it was a very straight character, like that show was. Sure. So it worked, and then I, I don't know how I got a job on. I did four episodes of of, of a sitcom, traditional sitcom called Fired Up, mm-hmm. where the, it it wasn't necessarily straight show. There were, it was it was you know set up set up joke set sure. up set up joke, but a sort of serious part you can cut a lot of this out um no, 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 but but sort of a serious character but mm-hmm. definitely concentrating on trying to be funny okay. okay really trying to be funny as i thought it was which that doesn't always work right um and then other than that i i it's been psych and again yeah. the i think the reason here's a little interesting story for no one um when i auditioned for the show i didn't know it was comedy Interesting. I it, I had auditions, and it was it wasn't really pilot season. It was August, not traditional pilot season. Uh-huh. Like you're going in for a cop. I read the sides. It's an interview scene. You know, cop okay. interviewing the perp. I'm like, great. I'll wear my dark blue cop suit, and sure. I go in. And just before I started, Steve Franks, the creator of the show, said, "Hey, just so you know, it's not NYPD Blue. It's Moonlighting." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Holy shit! I know how to do that." Yeah, yeah. Where it was because honestly, like. I felt there were a gazillion guys who can go in and do NYPD Blue sure. who are better looking and, and tougher and bigger and stronger than me if that's mm-hmm. what they want. Right. But it's like, but I could do that version mm-hmm. of a cop. And I, I'm i not saying I got cast in the room, but it was the greatest audition I'd ever had in my that's life. So and and basically, I, I left by saying, I'm going to leave before I say something stupid and fuck this up. <laughs> And it's and here we are, eight years later. That's pretty great. That's pretty. Do you um, going back then? I guess to your comedy roots. I know you said you had a couple other albums you you might want to talk about. But uh, if this is the first, I, I, did you go out and seek anything like this, or was this a very like unique? It was a totally unique experience. I, yeah. I was not like I want to know about comedy. Mm-hmm. I want to like you know comedy in my house was Barney Miller. Okay. It was whatever my parents were watching. Sure. Um, which, off the top of my head, was like it was Barney Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got to work with Max Gale, which was really? super cool. He's a lovely man. That's awesome. Um, but in, in, in MASH, I watched a lot of MASH, okay. which was not a traditional comedy. But like right. that's where... So it was the stuff that sort of... Uh, it always walked the line, mm-hmm. and that's what was interesting to me. So no, I didn't go out and like I wasn't the kid going down to the record store or trading this stuff with my friends mm-hmm. or talking bits at all. It was mm-hmm. like there was this one album in my parents' jazz collection, so and funny. that sort of started me off. And then later, oh, probably around the same time, I had a little tape recorder, and I would do story I would record stories I would do I, I had a version of Literary Riding Hood uh-huh. playing all the part. I don't know why I was Literary Riding it was this very awesome. twisted version of Literary Riding Hood mm-hmm. I wish I had the cassette somewhere but That'd be amazing doing like all the sound effects and I remember playing it for a, a friend of mine and I'm going wow you're you're really good at that mm-hmm. like that rifle sounds like a rifle clicking and that you know it's like it was it's awesome encouraging mm-hmm do you let's go back to the voices for a second I mean uh, you heard it enough that you obviously can mimic it very well is there anything else that you ever felt the need to do that with because I mean I, I again vocally obviously you've got a lot of range but you know you do have to be fairly monotone on psych so I'm just curious what kind of 
and and I've never really played a role where I've gotten the opportunity to do that. Everything's yeah. you know much sort of straighter. Yeah. Um, there's there's slight colors I get to throw in mm-hmm. on Psych. Sure, where it and even like even a, a look. There's one of my favorite just images of is from the film Philadelphia Story and it's it's a pretty iconic shot of Catherine Hepburn and is it Jimmy Stewart? No, it's not Jimmy Stewart. Well, it's Cary Grant and who's the third? Okay. It doesn't matter because all I ever focus on mm-hmm. is Cary Grant and he has this look on his face of just shock and utter and surprise. He's yeah. It's the dog who just heard a weird noise. Right, right, right. And I do that look as much like just because it it speaks to me yeah. and it's it's like here's this guy who's you know Cary Grant who's always Cary Grant and he's so together but then in just that one look you realize no he has no freaking clue what's going on yeah and I try and slip that one into Lasseter as much as I can he was doing summer tossing <laughs> so was that I was wondering what it was and all of a sudden he came back to boop, boop, boop. I said, Miss Johnson, there's a guy doing somersaults by your window. She said, yeah. She went to the door and she looks and there's one of the bums. You know, and he's doing cartwheels around the yard and somersaults. Then he's spinning around. Then he ran up the side of the tree. I said, wow, Miss Johnson. Then he spun around the branch and he jumped back down to the ground and did a little ballet there like <laughs> Like that. Did about five minutes of that. I said, Miss Johnson, why don't you get him to perform for the club date this afternoon? She said, great. So I'll ask him. So she called his bum's friend. She said, uh, would your buddy perform for me at the club meeting this afternoon? Said, I'll give him $100. I'm surprised because she was only giving me 35 <laughs> The guy said, uh, I don't know, Mr. Johnson. Said, I'll ask him. Then he turned to his buddy and he said, hey, Freddie, you willing to cut off another toe for $100? <laughs> So did you see? Did you ever watch the Flip Wilson show? Or no. are you this still, this is it. No, this is this, your one. This was my experience. That's pretty interesting. The, yeah, and maybe if I was a more curious child, I would have actually <laughs> sought this out. But I, you know, I was just trying to. I was riding bikes and watching sure. Star Wars and and trying not to get beat up. Right. And you know, dodging my brother's barrages of footballs to the head and, and right. stuff like that. When you were then going uh, going to school uh, as a as a theater kid, w- were your influences strictly just from your teachers or from your other uh, friends? I'm just curious, again, where the comedy part was nurtured or if it sat there for a bit. I think it sat there for a long time, yeah. and it w- but it was constantly being fed with, with television. Mm-hmm. And because we, I grew up in Seattle, which was very close to the Canadian border, mm-hmm. if you know anything about geography of our great country, mm-hmm. um, and we would get the BBC, or no, sorry, we'd get CBC oh, we'd get, yeah, uh, sure. on, you know, UHF channel, or whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. And so we would we were able to get Monty Python. That's awesome. Okay. So yeah. I'm trying to think of my, of like, because my dad is, a, is a, my parents did have have a lot to do with it, especially my dad. He's he's a very odd, dry, as my mother would say, weird sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He's he's not a funny guy, you would think, but okay. he 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 has his standard jokes. Sure, you know, I every time I leave, right? If you get work, you know, oh, I got to do something. Blah, 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 blah. Well, it keeps you out of bars. 
you know, which is a very sort of yeah. Johnny Carson. Like he sure. liked Carson. He was not a Leno. I'm sorry, he's not. He's not a Letterman guy. Yeah, he was a Carson guy. Yeah, uh, Ernie Koufax. Like that oh, was yeah. his stuff. So, but not that he ever sat down and was like, "Hey, you should watch Ernie Koufax show with me," or yeah. "Let me teach you something." Or, yeah. Except he did one time, uh, and this was actually hugely influential. I was I was going to say goodnight. Fourteen, probably twelve, because I, I still kissed him goodnight. And he's like, "Hey, sit down, watch this movie." I think it was maybe Friday night. He's uh-huh. like, you can stay up, watch this movie with me. And it was The Thin Man. Oh, and so man. William Powell, mm-hmm. his sort of thing. Yeah, I'm just. This is just really coming back to me now. Was hugely influential. Mm-hmm. That super dry delivery. You know, I guess that son of a gun just happening right here. Um, that's probably where a lot of like the Lasseter esque straight man stuff comes okay. from, because William Powell never told a joke in his life. <laughs> right. He just said things in a very funny way. Sure, sure. Which is Lasseter yeah. to many degrees. Lasseter, although he doesn't have Lasseter, certainly doesn't have the wit. Wit Lasseter is not naturally as funny as William Powell was. Right. But I, I think again, I'm just blabbering on. But no, no, no. I, I think wit was always much more important to me than funny. Okay. It certainly okay. is now. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Can you think then of uh, beyond that uh, any other... Sp- I, the thing, I guess, with wit, that's more nurtured, I suppose, in conversation, in education, beyond just listening to a, lo- a lot of comedy albums like <laughs> I did. Because you, you then, you do, you get that kind of, you get a skewed perspective, I think, an okay skewed perspective, but if listening to a bunch of people trying to be funny... Whereas it sounded like you weren't necessarily doing that. You were maybe more surrounded by people who were funny or the, the subtext was, was funny. Yeah, I mean, but then it's like, you know, my brother listened to every Cheech and Chong album mm-hmm. there was over and over. So Cheech, I realized Cheech and Chong's in there. Yeah. And those characters that they would do oh, yeah. and the mm-hmm. range that those guys have. Mm-hmm. Which, most people are like, oh, Cheech and Chong's just stoners, man. Right. No, if you listen to those albums. Yeah. There's a huge spectrum of characters, mm-hmm. and so it it all sort of keeps coming back to the characters and the things sure. they could create that then became funny, mm-hmm. or, or I guess how would how how they could express funny through a weird character as yeah. opposed to just telling a joke. Yeah, that's a sophisticated taste for a kid. I feel like it's not something that I had, so I find that, or at least it's a good interpretation of, of how a kid would feel about it. Because when I when I listen to specifically Cheech and Chong is the reason I kind of started this podcast. Cheech and Chong and Weird Al. I never I didn't smoke pot at all when I was a teenager, but it didn't matter because again, yeah. I think that is what sucked me in. Even if it was the two stoner characters that sucked me in more, and I really liked doing the voices. That was a big thing yeah. for me. Imitation was huge. Um, I'm cu- was imitation big for you at all? Like in acting and in comedy in general? Oh yeah, because yeah. until Obviously you have, this, but I mean, until you have some skills, you imitate. Sure. And if you're like me, you still imitate mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as you possibly can. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where again, like I couldn't write jokes, mm-hmm. but I could do these bits that I heard other people do. Mm-hmm. And the closer I was vocally, the more I could imitate them. The right. funnier it was. Sure. The same with. I mean the the Robin Williams like yeah again that's for another podcast but <laughs> it's all that stuff was just is just in there. Did did you have that moment with I feel like most people do have that moment with your parents when you first 
noticed again like you said didn't listen to necessarily watch a lot of comedy but first noticed the things that they found funny and then picked up on that or were you picking up on that elsewhere it's the same thing like you said imitating but i've noticed a lot of people including myself like you don't know what's funny you might not get something but if somebody's laughing so hard at it it's irresistible i mean you had an audience on this album i suppose to guide you but you know what i mean do you can you recall a moment Um, like that i'm trying to think what it's a very specific question. No, it's it's a great it's a great question, and I don't think I ever really witnessed it I, mm-hmm. again because it's not like my dad was sitting down mm-hmm. that I recall and specifically you know watching comedians. He certainly right. never did that, um, but you know just no. Okay. All right. Good. No, that's that's fine with me. Um, so uh, let's just for a second then go to Cheech and Chong because was it some was it a bonding thing for you and your brother or was it very much an older brother younger brother relationship where I'm tolerating you while we listen to this nugget? Yeah, he was. I I wasn't really. I just was peripheral. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was he is eight years older than me. Okay. Yeah. So it was my donor brother <laughs> who came home and would listen to these and. Yeah, part of it is I wanted to be around him. I want to hang around him. Sure. So that's one of the things he did. So I was around listening to it. I didn't understand most of it. Mm-hmm. But to this day, I, I still, when I'm in a car with someone else mm-hmm. and they make a fast move, I still go, wow, man, you drive just like Steve McQueen. <laughs> Again, my flip, my my Geraldine is much better than my than my Cheech and It's Chong, an impressive but, Geraldine, though. Like, that's, thank that's, you that's, very that's, much. You could put the money on that. <laughs> thank you. But yeah, so that like, there's just those things that yeah. for some reason as a kid, mm-hmm. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, yeah. Were you, so then once you became, I, you're fortunate to become a working actor. It seems like pretty early. Once you became a working actor, what were your influences, or was it just I'm a working actor and the craft is now me trying things out? That's exactly it, and. And again, there wasn't, I wasn't doing that much comedy. And I I found that when I would audition for traditional sitcoms, Mm -hmm. um, I I just, uh, I wasn't very good because I was trying way too hard. Mm -hmm. The story with Seinfeld and and me getting that, that first job, you know, was, it was three lines and the character is is kind of a dick mm-hmm. again the serious guy with the straight face sure and i go in the room and and uh somebody says to i think larry david do you want to explain it to him and he goes no let's just see him do it okay and whatever i did made them laugh more than the red-headed guy who was up against me okay and then so i get to this i get to set mm-hmm Still having never been on stage, having no, I had never even seen the show shit, at this point. Yeah, okay. I knew it was, it was a big show, sure. but I still didn't know what I was doing. And I figured, mm-hmm. well, they'll explain it once I get to work. Right. And that's the last thing they're going to do. Like they have time to talk to the guy with three lines. And I was just, I'm like, okay, I have no clue what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And luckily I'm sitting down for most of it. Okay. So I don't, I don't worry about moving. Yeah. 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 And, the guy, I can't remember his name. He's, he's a wonderful actor. It, it, I was Jason Alexander's girlfriend's brother, Little Ricky, if that makes any sense to anyone. In the episode called The Cheever Letters. Okay. Um, and my mother was Grace Zabriskie. And my dad, who was, it was the doctor on Twin Peaks. He's, he's a wonderful oh, actor. Okay. But he played a real 
stone cold asshole. Okay. And I just went, oh, okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This one totally meandering. The lines were... J- uh, Jason comes up to me. Jason comes up to me and says, uh, "He's like, hey, me, 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 my little brother, little Ricky." And he's, wait, he's home from college. He goes, "Oh, what's your major?" And the line is, "I don't know," or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. "I don't remember." And he goes, "Oh, well, try podiatry. Lots of something in feet." And so I based my whole line on he's just dumb. Yeah, I based my entire okay. massive performance of okay. three lines on he's dumb. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when we get there, they decide to change the line uh-huh. to I don't have one. What's your major? I don't have one. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should try podiatry. Always a history in, or always you know, future in feet. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I'm like, they've just taken away my entire character. <laughs> my entire character was based on him being dumb. <laughs> now he's I'm like, what do I do? What do? And so I'm like, oh, fuck. Got to play my dad's an asshole. I'll be an asshole. Okay. Chip off the old block. Uh huh. So that became the entire basis of the performance of just being a dick. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the episode, that's what I'm doing. I have to say, I like to be honest with you people. You know, and I like to say that uh, being a young Negro performer hosting a national television show hasn't gone to my head. Uh, why should I let the fact that I'm in a position of power and of prominence and considerable influence affect me? I mean, why not stay cool? Well, I'm not going to panic. Just be the same guy that I've always been. Uh, Ed, uh, after the show, would you finish shining those other two pairs of shoes? <laughs> Did you find that your, because you weren't maybe getting or doing as much comedy, that your interpretation of comedic roles was stunted because you, you thought you had to, in your head you were still thinking of it as a funny part too? Was that in any way... Yeah, but even down. then, I, 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 I knew that the funny came from the serious. Sure, okay. And to the point where, like, you know, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and it's just, it's a classic bit. You stare at the hand, and then you look up at the guy with dead eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and then he pulls his hand away. And mm-hmm. That wasn't written, but it was like, I just, I know that the more serious I could take it. Sure the funny it will appear. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rain Wilson said something in, in some interview, which is, you know, I, I'll write on my tombstone, which is, uh, I paraphrase, but in, in, in great seriousness, there's great comedy, or in great comedy, there's great seriousness. Mm-hmm. I should probably figure that out before I have them put that on my gravestone. <laughs> but it's something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that Dwight Schrute character. Mm-hmm. It's like, he just doesn't have a funny bone in his body. Right. But is one of the funniest characters to hit television the last 20 years. Sure. Do you, so then, uh, again, after this, after you move away, where you, was there a point where you felt the need to buy comedy albums? Were you picking anything up? Or, or again, was it all working actor stuff? It was all just working God, actor stuff. This, this should be a lesson to everybody. This it, should be a lesson to everybody. Just okay, do your okay, thing. I don't even know what the hell I'm saying. But oh, it's fine. No, it was, it was all working. I mean, I literally, I had the Cheech and Chong that, were my brothers that I would never have picked up myself and and I had uh, and a friend of mine maybe when I was about I was a little older so I was probably about 15 16 uh, gave me a bootleg cassette of Robin Williams reality what concept Mm -hmm. and that was huge but then like Michael Keaton it was it was actors in movies that I Mm -hmm. thought like Michael Keaton was huge to me yeah um is 48 hours all the you know Eddie Murphy and all the, the you know the John Landis movies and all that that's that's where I was getting my comedy from it wasn't mm-hmm. from 
watching stand-ups. How were you studying it? Was it just rewatching, just rewatching? Watching it, just and just yeah, just kind of studying. Not even studying the videos, but just like watching it, just sort of enjoying them mm-hmm. and going, "Oh, that's funny to me." Yeah, I'll log that right, and, right, and see where I can totally rip it off to use it. Sometime. Special type of memory that I feel like that actors have to access more. Obviously, I, I, I'm saying something incredibly obvious, and I apologize, but to log. What a facial expression, what a voice, uh, what a movement of the eyes means to you and does to your brain to have that. St- I mean, we all have to do that as children, as babies, right. but eventually some people become mildly sociopathic and don't know how to pick up on those cues. But you right. have to always be sucking those cues in and yeah. absorbing them. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it a skill? Is it a thing you still have to practice? Or is it you have a bank that you, you pull from? I, I think I think there's a bank that I pull from. Um, my I see in ninth grade I got sort of my first lead in a play mm-hmm. cheaper by the dozen nice Clifton Webb role mm-hmm. and I remember my dad saying afterwards you had such great facial expressions and people will st- and so and Lassiter does a lot with an eyebrow sure sure and people always go oh, you have such great facial expressions and I, I kind of cringe at it really because it's so cheap like it's to me it's just one of the cheapest way but yet what did Jack Benny do his entire thing? He yes. just deadpanned mm-hmm. and raised an eyebrow mm-hmm. a quarter of an inch. And so I, I, maybe because it comes easily for me, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a cheap way to go. I feel right. like I'm not, I'm not doing my work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then funny's funny. So. Does, it make it e- does it make the job easier and more fun then, though? Because you get it's not as uh, – you don't have to maybe put as much into it because it's it's such a part of you now yeah i mean certainly as as the show has gone on has gone on and i don't know how much you watch the show although you should because a it's really bunch. really good um but Lasseter sort of started out as a very what's the he was not the most fleshed out character right i felt right and and part of that is is how i played him mm-hmm. um and as the show has gone on and the writers have gotten to know me, and I've got more comfortable. I've sort of okay. If you've ever hired me or are going to hire me, turn this off. But here's what I do, <laughs> and this is how I've always sort of spent my career: give them what they want when they hire you, mm-hmm. and then if you have a few episodes, you slowly start slipping in what you want to do. Sure. And eventually, sure. what you want to want to do becomes the character, mm-hmm. and that's. What has happened with Lasseter? Not yeah. that I'm taking all the credit. Obviously, there's a room full of immensely talented writers and directors, and and our dear creator who have who have a huge part in it. But so much of it was okay. Here's what I want to do with this guy now, mm-hmm. because I can't. Let's say this thing goes for ten years. I said to myself early uh-huh. on, I don't want to just be this one thing. Sure, and. It's just all this other like where Lasseter is now versus where he was in the beginning. Oh, it's, yeah. it's he's on the moon compared yeah, to where it this was. This season's great for him. I'd yeah, think. it's 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 been, and I'm really lucky that I have a group of of, uh, of bosses and writers and directors behind me that have allowed me to do that. Right. Do you can you think of some specific things that you pulled out? Was it was it a facial expression? What was it? Well, uh, that Cary Grant look yeah. was one of them. Yeah. Which. Uh, Again, that's not oh, actually in the pilot. I did slip in. Um, I bang uh, the not what you're thinking. <laughs> I 
am arresting our hero, mm-hmm. uh, Sean, and his head hits the roof of the patrol car. Mm-hmm. And I added, ooh, did that hurt? That looked like it hurt a lot. <laughs> Which is from 48 Hours of, yes, right. did that hurt? That looked like it hurt a lot. <laughs> Again, I didn't use that bad it's okay. Eddie Murphy. No, right. No, it's but, but that's it. I was yeah. just, I was just, I mean, a flat out stealing lines. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things that's to do great, is steal lines from other shows. Sure. Do them in a different context where you're not ever going to know. Right. Right. But that was, I wouldn't have thought of it yeah. that way, to be honest. Again, if it's delivered from that guy. Yeah. From that voice. But but to face. then have him go, oh, wait, he, maybe he does have a sense of humor. Oh, did that hurt? That looked like it hurt a lot. Right. Right. Do you, out of curiosity, I'm, I'll, I'll ask some, some really, I apologize. I, you know, I will save your children's ears, uh, uh, so I won't swear myself. But uh, I have some, maybe some crappy actor questions. And you can go ahead and just say, shut up. I've heard this a million times. Uh, I, you I, may I, not be aware of this. I love talking about myself. Oh. Oh. Oh, you're an actor. I'm, an actor. I'm sorry. <laughs> Perhaps you, so. you weren't aware. <laughs> Do you, uh, okay, then. Let's, I'm just going to. I'll, if I say the word preparation, you'll know exactly what my question's going to be. How did you prepare? What do you prepare? <laughs> you know, just to do the character. You didn't, didn't know much about it, right? You, you didn't know, even know it was a comedy, but did you? were you just like, cop? Was that just what you thought first, cop? It, 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 it just went in. I mean, the the performance, for example, in, the, in that audition, mm-hmm. it, didn't, it didn't really change. Yeah. But, I mean, the, just the core shifted a little bit. Yeah. Where... I could let a phrase hang in the air a little bit more mm-hmm. before I started. And, it, and in fact, in the in the actual audition where I finally got the job for the you know the network test, which is the most hellish experience anyone will ever go through, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're a soldier. Um, put it this way: one of the most hellish things a civilian can go through. Right. Uh, James Roday, our hero and lead, uh, who's one of the most talented sons of bitches I've ever come across in terms yeah. of a writer and director and he's just encyclopedic in his knowledge of, of film and comedy uh, he went off book we were reading together okay. he already had the job and he went off book sure and like I had very specific <laughs> I mean I work very hard at it I had sure. very specific bits and obviously the, the trick is to make them look like they're not very specific bits that you've worked really hard to, to develop sure and he was off book and I lost my place at one point and then I got I didn't get to do one of my bits one of my really funny bits that always got a laugh in the room before uh-huh. and I and we were done and I walked out and I wanted to fucking kill him I was like I just I wanted to go in that room yeah. and beat the living shit out of him because mm-hmm. he just fucked my job yeah and they all come out you know they come out like okay we're gonna we'll talk to and they talk with you they pull the actors aside and give them a little bit of direction you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this and it, and it was um it was uh uh, C. Thomas Howell was there, and they they told him one thing, and uh, and uh, a wonderful actor named Pat Finn was there, and they told him another mm-hmm. thing, and and uh, and they said t- to me, my particular direction was, we're not sure you can be tough enough, we're not sure you can be you know fierce enough with mm-hmm. this guy, and I was like, watch this, <laughs> and I. I I damn near pinned him up against the wall yeah. with my voice. And so it was, turns out he gave me the greatest gift he could have given me because he fucked with me. Yeah. And yeah. it then took me out of my formulaic shit that I had planned out mm-hmm. 
and made me into a better actor in that scene, and I got the job. And uh, honestly, our whole cast does that every day. Like, they they really break me out of my shit. I'll have stuff very sort of, you know, I, I have my my charcoal sketch of mm-hmm. what I'm going to do with the scene. And a lot of times they, they just get to erase everything and, and turn it into something else because they're so damn funny. During my younger years, I tried, uh, I operated my own business. It was a lemonade stand, you know, and uh, it was doing pretty good. You know, the way it went is I had a big sign over the lemonade stand called Flip's Lemonade, all you can drink for a dime. No, that was great, and it was going along pretty well. But then you always run into a wise guy, you know? One day a guy comes up to the stand, he says, uh, is this lemonade as good as everybody says it is? And I said, you better believe it. This lemonade is just as good as what your mother used to make. And the guy said, hmm, that gotta be some very good lemonade. (laughs) I said, and in addition to that, I give you all you can drink for a dime. You can't beat that. He said, let me tell you how I fix this lemonade. I put extra sugar in the glass. So when you turn the glass up to drink it, the lemonade starts swirling around and that makes the sugar swirl and lemonade gets sweeter as you go down, you know, as it goes down. Makes it taste better. And uh, then the lemonade is very cold. I put extra ice in the pitcher and then I pack the pitcher in the ice. I said, yeah, that's all right. He said, "Uh, give me a glass. So I gave him a glass and uh, he said, I'll have another glass. I said, well, that'll be another dime. He said, now hold on. He said, the sign says all you can drink for a dime. I said, but you had a glass, didn't you? And I said, yes. I said, well, that's all you can drink for a dime. <laughs> what, do, what specific sort of improv training did you have as a theater student so young? Um, or was it just part of an acting class? Just like, here's, here's a, here's a skill. Class. It was all part of an acting class. Yeah. I never had, like... like and and it's, it's funny you mention that because in my very old middle age I, I look back over my training and my career and the path and I'm constantly going what if I'd gone this way what if I'd gone to New mm-hmm. York what if what if I had gone uh, Groundlings what if I'd gone Second right. City what if I'd done that because that kind of uh, Saturday Night Live was huge for me sure sure. Uh, that you know that was I loved it especially as, as, a, as a very young young person mm-hmm. um, and that kind of comedy really got to me and like I've always wanted to do that I've yeah. always wanted to do sketch mm-hmm. and now it's like it's such a thing it's such yeah. a separate thing for sure where it's like I always feel like oh for an actor for you know an actor quote unquote to go I want to do sketch be like well you might as well say oh, I want to cut an album right right, right. and of course it's not but it's not but it's I but it's like it, it is so it's such its own discipline uh-huh and respected discipline that maybe it wasn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I never really studied the improv. I had a class in college. Uh, a man named Stephen Book taught. He was a great teacher, and it was uh, acting through improv. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was just, uh, and but it was great. It was really about filling out the life of of the character mm-hmm. that you never get to hear about. Right. And it was wonderful. But I've never, like, I don't know the improv games. I don't know that Cole Stratton. Right. Yeah. Is is uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine, friend of mine, and he's had me come down to uh, Pretty Little Pony, okay, sometime to do the, the monologuist for Armando. Yeah, it's like we were doing Armando style, and I had to Google it because I know right. what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I find myself doing the monologue and then hopping on and then watching these guys do sketch, going, God, that's what I want to do. I want to yeah. hop on. I want to do the funny <laughs> shit. I'll come up with lines in my head, and I, it's all I can do to not scream out jokes. 
What, then what, if that was such a big part of it, uh, you know, if that drew you in so much as a young man, then what kept you from doing it? Because I didn't know how to do it. What, what I knew as, as a kid from Seattle was, uh, it was, it's a great theater town. Yeah. So, and again, I started studying, you know, being around traditional theater mm-hmm. at a very young age. I didn't know there was this thing there was improv okay. olympics up there yeah theater sports had just sort of started right but i don't think i had a car and i wasn't old enough to get into them and, okay. and, and yeah so it was just this is what you do this is how you become an actor sure. you, go to, you take class you go to theater school which i did and mm-hmm. then you get out and you get an agent if you're lucky enough and then you start chipping away mm-hmm. and not really realizing there were so many other avenues to go right it's interesting though to watch a path like yours and if we were to take somebody else from you know who started out the same period of time who did start in improv or in sketch that I think both of your goals obviously would probably be very similar but I mean I feel you're probably because of your theater background maybe a working actor before maybe a lot of sketch people get the opportunity to be because they're used to having to be funny having to come up with comedic things um yeah, that's really all I had to say. <laughs> no, it's true, though. But, the, you know, it's the old joke of, you, you know, be, behind, well, I think most comedians are, are, you know, most of the funny, funny, the people you think of really funny comedians mm-hmm. is a dark, dark, dark swath of pain. Right, right. And, again, that's sort of, not that it was that dark and dramatic, but, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, I didn't have a lot of friends, and so I would, I would do the funny thing. Yeah. Yeah, is that what you're drawing from when you did the dramatic stuff too? Though I mean, were you? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And and again, you know, the, and the great thing about Lasseter is I get to be a tough guy, and I'm I'm the, the furthest thing from a tough guy. Yeah. But and <laughs> so I done. I that is not me agreeing with you. That's me. Saying, <laughs> okay. I understand you feel that. Thank way. you. Yeah. But I, I had done you know Sean Potter on Judging Amy for mm-hmm. for uh, several years, uh-huh. and he was a sweet, sweet young liberal social worker mm-hmm. and with floppy hair and and he was just had a heart of gold mm-hmm. and he was a great character and I had a, I had a wonderful time and I got out well you know it was canceled and I was like well now what the hell am I going to do and I kind of I shaved my head but or buzzed my hair because mm-hmm. I'd never done that I was like fuck it I'm going to buzz my hair because I, uh-huh. I was all about my hair I have gorgeous hair I was going <laughs> to cut it all off and I went to my, I was went back to class, and the teacher's like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I was like, "You know what? I want to be the guy with a gun." Mm-hmm. I was like, "I want to be the fucking guy with a gun." You know, I I want to be Indiana Jones. I want to you know Han Solo. Yeah. I want to be those guys that I grew up watching. Sure. I never thought I could do, and started kind of working on that character in class. And then within like two weeks, I get well, not two weeks, maybe a couple months, uh-huh. I get this crazy marine psychopath and and then this and that and then I get an episode of 24 where I'm a Russian terrorist mm-hmm. and it's all guys with guns and you look at my huh. the gun IMDB you know there's the IMDB but then there's a weapons IMDB oh yes 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 yes. and it's just like a buddy of mine sent sent it to me we were comparing all our who's the most badass out of these five <laughs> actors after pals and like I had all these different weapons I was like well suddenly it's like, holy shit, I'm the guy with the gun. And Lasseter is, is still the guy with the gun that started, I don't know where we came with this. No, 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 that was good. I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, it just goes to show, again, 
intent in life is just as important as intent in comedy. Uh, you know, that's, 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 that's insane just to have that kind of uh, drive to get a very specific thing in life. Well, and, the, and, and it, they truly, and it came from a, a teacher going, be specific and uh-huh. what do you want to do and stop being general. I had, you, there, there was a conversation I had with someone on our show early on, on Psych, and we were talking, I think it was like after the pilot, or maybe it was during the pilot, I don't remember what, but we were talking about the Dirty Harry movies. Mm-hmm. And I was, think- I was thinking how Laster like loves Dirty Harry. Sure. And he goes, yeah, yeah, but but you're not Dirty Harry. You're like, you're not, you're not Clint Eastwood. You're Hal Holbrook. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay. Mm-hmm. In my head going, there's no fucking way I'm playing Hal Holbrook. <laughs> because again, last was, it was by the book. Yeah. It was that. And in the pilot, yes, he's Hal Holbrook. Mm-hmm. But suddenly, the, well, not suddenly, but over an evolution of the character, that's the last guy he is. And now sure. he's become the crazy version of Dirty Harry mm-hmm. in his own mind. Sure, sure. And it, that's, that's one of my greatest joys. This going, going, yeah, I, I, I'm not doing Hal Holbrook. Okay, I'll do Hal Holbrook. No fucking way. I'm doing Hal Holbrook. Um, you know, I guess one thing would be interesting. Again, if if your training was so specifically, you know, again, not sketch, not improv. Timing, timing is obviously incredibly necessary to do what you do, and you obviously have it, or you wouldn't be succeeding on such a great show. But where do you learn that as a dramatic actor? What is what is that? Is that just reading brilliantly timed pieces? And picking that up, or is it a life thing? It's. I think it's. Well, we're all sponges. I think we're all clean slates when we come out. For sure. And then it's it's whatever gets thrown at you. And I, again, it was watching. Um. You know, it was Saturday Night Live, and it was Bill Murray, mm-hmm. and it was Belushi, and it was it was just absorbing as much of these people as I could and and going what what is funny to me mm-hmm. I mean because that's all it is it's just what do you think is funny and then you do that um, the, the again the Flip Wilson he's got some great some it's the stuff that he does in between the lines mm-hmm. that makes it funny sure and I the mean, way that you filled it in again obviously in your own head yeah yeah I can see that. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer, so let's... Number one, I always ask people before we go, if no one's ever heard this album, I hadn't. If nobody really knows who Flip Wilson is, they're new to comedy, why would you recommend to listen to this album? Because his Geraldine is just funny. Yeah. I mean... She get, you get to learn how to do this. I think I took my microphone off. You get to learn how to talk like this. <laughs> you don't know. You wasn't there. Which, um, and, you know, if you want to go deeper into it, mm-hmm. here was, let's see when this recorded. This was recorded, doesn't say here. I think it was like 1970. And in his Carson stuff, he actually talks about being, uh, in his words, a, a young Negro performer. That's yep. how old you know this album yeah, is. Yeah. Doing Carson. And he's got, he's got some jokes where like, He's like, you know, I, but I'm not going to use my influence. I'm not going to, you know, go over the top. Uh, hey, Ed, after the show, can you finish polishing those other those other two pairs of shoes? <laughs> like he, he, 
I, I just think, you know, again, I'm a white kid from the suburbs, but mm-hmm. there is something that I find uh, very empowering and interesting yeah. about this. what this guy's journey must have been sure. yeah. in 68 in and 69 to suddenly be doing the Carson yeah. show. Yeah, and there weren't a lot of faces like his on television. Um, I had no idea he'd host, co-hosted at all, guest hosted. I mean, yeah, I, and that was early that, on, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I and I can't I, again. I'm not versed in in the Carson lore, but who who else of of color was was co-hosting? Sammy Davis, maybe, maybe, but maybe? I'm going to say doubtful. So I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if he. You know, anyway, uh, so he was a trendsetter in that way, and just his stories. Again, the joke, it's not the jokes, it's not the punchlines that are funny, Mm-mm. because frankly, they're dumb, a lot of them. They're, ju- they're, just, cor- they're just corny. Yeah. They're good, clean, corny jokes. Mm-hmm. But it's the way he fills up to those yeah. that really taught me about setting up a story, sure. setting up the whole thing, mm-hmm. setting up these different characters, what you can do to, to bring... To, you know, to string an audience along. Yeah. And it's, the punchlines are secondary. To string them along without testing their patience too, which nowadays yeah. I feel like is more of a challenge. Yeah. And you listen and like, especially these, these are live. The audience is with them every bit. I know. They're laughing I know. throughout the entire story. Mm-hmm. And going, it's like, man. Yeah. So he, he was an amazing performer in that he knew, I believe just from listening to it, he knew how to hold an audience. Yeah. And there's times he's messing up lines. He he's stumbles over his own words. Sure. But there's never an ounce of fear in his voice. Mm-mm. And he's a badass. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I'm so glad you asked me to listen to it because it's, it's great. Um, what would you like to plug? Where can we find you? Obviously, we're going to find you on Psych. You can find me on the hit television show Psych. It's on the USA Network Wednesdays at 10. Characters it's also welcome. on... Characters are welcome. It's also on Netflix and I'm sure a million other places mm-hmm. and probably out there to steal somewhere, but that's okay. Actors don't need to get paid. Do whatever you want to do, no, man. No. Hey, li- and <laughs> to, to, uh, maybe this wasn't his line. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've been doing this line my entire life and I always thought it was Flip Wilson, but then I didn't hear it in the album, mm-hmm. but it's. Live like you want to live, baby. I think that is him. Is that no? In there? I think I, it's not in there, but I—that's got to be a flip. I—I I, I swear I've heard it on the show. Okay, I now yeah. need to go Google that, yep. or you can Google it and let me know. Mm-hmm. But that—that that whole reading of again, it's a—it's a hip brother mm-hmm. saying this line, yeah. laying this knowledge on me as a little white boy in the suburbs going, live like you want to live, baby. And that's that's a line to this day I still use. I if if you oh you can follow me on the Twitter. It's it's at Amundsen, not like the theater, but like the name O M U N D S O N. And I will often if someone would just give me some weird non sequitur, I'll just spit out live like you want to live, baby. <laughs> you know. This has been awesome. Oh, Thank good. you so well, much for I, doing this. I, let's let's hope that they think so as well. I hope so. I, Natalie will appreciate it. Um, Natalie, again, I miss you. We don't ever talk anymore. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank My you pleasure. so much for doing this. And everybody, thank you for listening. And as always, have a good thing. <laughs>
Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, rate us highly, and write your reviews. You can follow us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl and Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl. Me only thing that kept me afloat was only me coconut.